let's hear from God's Word from John chapter 3. Last week, you were looking at the first eight verses. I wasn't here, but Jeff preached on John 3, 1 to 8. So we're going to read that, but today's study is really verse 9 to 21. This is the Word of God, John 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it, is, where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, and everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send a son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. And we end our reading there. We thank him for his... In chapter 2, when Jesus cleanses the temple, he deals with the whole corrupt worship system of the Jewish temple. Now in chapter 3, when Jesus speaks with an individual called Nicodemus, he deals with one extremely confused spiritual leader. And in many ways, what we see here is Jesus moving from the macro to the micro, from the corrupt temple system totally wrong, 
to the confused leader within the system. See, religious living is very, very popular still in the world, and it may make us feel a bit better about ourselves and the world we live in. It might make us feel a little more satisfied with what's going on, but it does not impress Jesus. Religious living living does not impress Jesus. And so, Jesus tells Nicodemus, and he tells us about the necessity of this new birth. It's a must, and it's for all. But this encounter that Nicodemus had with Jesus is relevant to every generation. Listen to what Kent Hughes has to say. And there's a long quote, but listen. The term born again has been pirated, emptied of its meaning, dragged through the gutter, and given back to us minus its power. Today, when a person says he's born again, we cannot be sure what he or she means. The mere use of the word or title or term tells us almost nothing. The truth, however, is that when one is really born again, there is a radical repentance, a radical work of the Spirit in the life, and a radical change so that the whole being is brought into new life. The results are discernible. They can be seen. Indeed, indeed, a radical repentance, a radical work of the Spirit, a radical change, and it will be seen. That's what Jesus says. And Jesus confronts us all with the non-negotiables of the faith. And Jesus shows Nicodemus and us what a relationship with God looks like and how a relationship with God begins. But remember, Nicodemus is a, an intelligent, powerful, rich, old man, a religious man, intelligent, powerful, rich, and old. He probably was quite proud of all that he was and all that he had. And by the way, that's a very serious combination of obstacles to keep him from faith and to keep anyone from faith. And today, for instance, if you think you're above average intelligence, if you've been successful in your life, if you are quite religious, and if you're old, that's a perfect storm to become a proud man or woman who thinks, I don't need this new birth. I don't need this thing called being born again. It can lead to a pride. Oh, look at me. Look how intelligent I am. Look how successful I have been. Look how religious I have been. Did Nicodemus make it? I mean, was he born again? Well, the evidence of chapter 7 and the, uh, chapter 19 suggests that Nicodemus did believe and was born again, but we'll see that, God willing, in due course. But today we have a long passage from verse 9 to verse 21. It's got three big sections. And basically, there are lessons for Nicodemus and for us. How do we get past this pride in who we are and what we have done? How, how, how can we get past the confusion that religion very often just pumps into our lives? Well, we've got three main headings that I hope are 
going to be helpful uh, to you. The first, and they're taken really basically, they're taken from the, the text. First of all, we've got to understand these things. We've got to understand these things. You, you notice that in verse, in verse 10. Let's read verse 9. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Folks, we've got to understand these things. Jesus saying, listen very carefully, folks. This is a miracle, a miracle. Nicodemus uses the word can again. Verse 4, you remember? How can a man be born when he is old? Verse 9, how can this be? He's confused. He's confused. Because this is all so weird, isn't it? And maybe some of us are thinking to ourselves, yeah, kind of is weird, isn't it? It's unnatural. And Jesus says to him, Nicodemus, I mean, you are Israel's teacher. Do you not understand these things? And what Jesus is saying is, the things I'm talking about, the things I'm teaching about, cannot be brought about by religion, cannot be brought about by ritual or sacrifice. The things I'm talking about, Nicodemus, can't be brought about by the temple religion, Judaism, or the law. What I'm talking about is life and birth from above. I'm talking about a miracle. Nicodemus, you're a teacher. Surely you should know these things. Of course, um, Nicodemus does not understand because he does not believe. They go together, don't they? We cannot grasp the need for salvation without seeing the miraculous nature of it all. Salvation is not experienced, you see, through scientific method or uh, some kind of understanding of human wisdom. It is a miracle. God intervenes in our lives with what we might regard as the key miracle. It's otherworldly. Yes, of course it is. It is supernatural. Of course it is. It's a miracle. It cannot be produced by religion or by man. But it's exactly what God does in our lives in salvation. And Nicodemus should have known as he was. Notice Israel's teacher. You are Israel's teacher. Maybe, he's, maybe he was the key teacher. We don't know, but he was Israel's teacher. He was one of the main men in the Judaist system of religion, and he did not know. In many ways, I think what Nicodemus is saying, or what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, do you know anything about creation? Everything out of nothing? Was that not a miracle? Or what about the Passover, Nicodemus, God's people saved by the blood of the Lamb? Is that not a miracle? Or, or, or what about the Red Sea? Or what about the manna and the quail? Or what about 
Jericho and the invasion of Canaan, and etc., etc., etc. You could have listed a hundred, a thousand different things that were miracles that he knew about or should have known about. So why is it so hard to understand about this new birth? Because if he was Israel's teacher, he should have known about Deuteronomy 30, Jeremiah 24, Ezekiel 11, Ezekiel 36, where all this stuff is basically listed out for us and explained to us. He should know. Nicodemus should know. It's another miracle in a line of miracles. And it is the key miracle that he needed and we need. Do you not understand these things, Nicodemus? Really? And folks of Richfield Presbyterian Church, the congregation here today, do, do you know these things? Really? It's a miracle. And we have to understand this. We have to understand this. And by the way, that's why we should never give up on people that we're witnessing to or praying for. Because, you know, they might appear to have proud, hard hearts. Yeah. They might appear to be aggressive to the gospel. But when they face the miracle of God, then we often see the pride and the hardness and the aggression melt away. So understand the miracle. That's what you've got to do, Nicodemus, and that's what we've got to do. Understand the miracle. It's a miracle. Secondly, we've got to understand that it's a, a revelation of Scripture, a revelation of God, verse 11 to 13. I mean, who, who could possibly know about such things? I mean, who could speak about such things? Who has ever been to heaven, for instance? I mean, who enables us to enter heaven? I mean, who's fit and able and there's only one, and his name is Jesus, the Son of Man. Verse 13, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. See, we need to understand, and we understand by revelation. And the, the revealer of the revelation is Jesus. Only one. Only one. The Son of Man, our faith is a faith revealed from God by Jesus. Now, many people, maybe even some this morning in church, and you're trying to make sense of life, make sense of the world and the universe and your place in it and history and everything else, you're, you're trying to sort it all out by trying human reason or wisdom or philosophy or even logic and yes, let's admit it, some good things can come from such things because God enables us to think and to reason and to have some kind of wisdom. However, normally such things lead to unbelief. That's the reality because they're man-centered, man-based, man-produced. Enabled by God, but man-produced. But understanding comes from Revelation, and revelation comes from Jesus. Verse 11, I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify, we reveal, 
to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. See, Nicodemus is slow to understand because he will not accept the revelation of the revealer is Jesus. Are we also slow to understand because we kind of don't think of the new birth as a miracle and we don't really want to accept Scripture as the revelation of God? All Christian truth comes from revelation and the revealer is Jesus. Verse 11, really, Jesus saying, I have seen and I have testified and you don't believe. Verse 13, I've been to heaven. I've the only one been to heaven and come here. I've tested about it and, and you don't. You don't believe. In Galatians 1, verse 11 and 12, this is what Paul says. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. So listen to him, friends. Listen to him. Hear him. Believe him. We've got to understand these things. These things are miraculous. They are by revelation of Scripture from Christ. The third thing is it's accomplished in the cross, verse 14. So Jesus tells Nicodemus of a of an Old Testament story that really was another miracle. The story, as we shared with the children, Numbers 21, the people forgot about the love and the provision of God and they became impatient and they began to complain about everything, 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 and especially the manna. We detest this miserable food, they said. And so God said, I've had enough. And he disciplined his people as he sometimes does and sometimes he has to. He sent snakes to attack them. Many got bitten. Some even died. And they cried out to Moses to intervene to God for them. And God told Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. And those who look to the pole and believe, they will live. And the sense of, kind of, it's not stated explicitly in Numbers 21, but the theology behind it is that there was a transfer, in a sense, of evil and sin and wickedness from the people to the snake, a transfer. And so verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. It's a, a must, isn't it? So the Son of Man must be lifted up. See, we're lost, aren't we? And helpless uh, without Christ because of our sin and in our sin, we deserve to be punished. Just like Numbers 21. There's only one answer. A sinless substitute, not a snake this time, but the Son of Man, the only way, our only hope, our only Savior, God's provision to save and to deliver, and just as the people were urged to look up, look up to the snake on the pole, we look up to the Son of Man on the cross. Do you understand these things? Nicodemus, 
RPCers. Do you understand? It's a miracle. It has to be a miracle. And a long line of miracles that God does. It's by revelation. It has to be by revelation from the revealed, not by human logic or reason. And it has to be accomplished by the cross. There's no other way. Not the way of self or the way of man. We've got to know this. Secondly, of course, we've got to believe in him. Or the phrase believes in him is used numerous times there. So here we are, a bunch of ordinary people, a bunch of sinners. There's nothing we can do. If we think we can, we're fools. No performance, no heroic deeds, no acts, no great accomplishments, no works. So what can we do? Believe. Believe. Verse 15, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's 16, of course. Verse 15, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. You see, his favor, his grace, his salvation is ours as we believe into him. We can try and grind out religion and ritual over years or decades, a whole of our life. We can give ourselves to religion and ritual and go through the motions, but it fails. We believe into Jesus. We trust in Jesus. We look to the cross, admitting our sin and believing, and then we're saved. And, and, and Jesus are saying, Nicodemus, I can't put it more clearly than this. And of course, he says to us today, you folks in Rich Hill, it can't be put any clearer. Do you understand? Do you believe? That's the answer to the confusion of people like Nicodemus. Believe so that we're saved from perishing, saved to eternal life. Because of God's love, what does verse 16 say? The famous verse, the one we all know. He gave. He gave. He gave a son. He gave a son to a brutal, horrible, cruel death. Never underestimate the cost of Calvary. God loved, so God gave. Think of the, the physical torture of that most horrible death. But think beyond that. Think of the pain of bearing the very thing, in fact, the only thing that Jesus hated, sin. He bore. He bore sin. Think about the pain of facing the wrath of God as judgment of God was poured out on him rather than on us. Think about the pain of doing all of this alone. God gave his son so that we might believe and not perish. See, in the war against sin and evil, God gave his son. But not just as a kind of an example. He gave us his son so that we might believe and be saved. But you see, religion complicates the issue of getting right with God. Religion makes it impossible to get right with God. Because what religion does, it gives you a list of rituals and rules to follow. But the problem is we never know if we have done enough. We never know if we have done enough 
well enough, and we never know if we've done enough well enough for long enough. But because of Jesus, the cross of the sacrifice, we can believe. And God, in a sense, has flung wide the gates of grace. He said, listen, I'm going to make it as simple as I can. I'm going to make it so that you can enjoy me and my salvation and eternal life with me. Admit your sin. Believe. John 3, verse 16, I suppose a beautiful favorite verse of so many. And uh, many people quote the kind of poem, God the greatest lover, so loved the greatest degree, the world, the greatest company, that he gave the greatest act, his one and only son, the greatest gift, that whoever, the greatest opportunity, believes the greatest simplicity, in him, the greatest attraction, shall not perish, the greatest promise, but the greatest difference, have the greatest certainty, eternal life, the greatest possession. Nicodemus, do you understand? Do we understand? And do we believe? And by the way, 17, 18, we either believe or we're condemned, but we must move on to the final point, comes into the light. You see, Nicodemus should have understood. He needed to believe, and he also, like us, needs to come into the light. Verse 19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light. You see, the unsaved, the unsaved avoid light. Verse 19 and 20, light has come. The light of God has come to us, whether we see it or not, is irrelevant, it's come to us. But notice, men love darkness instead of light. Because by nature, you see, by, by nature we shun or evade the light of God, the truth of God. By nature, we are lost and reject the gospel. By nature, we're opposed, actually. We're really opposed to the light of God. Now, we're not as evil as we can be, of course, but every single part of us is affected. So, the invitation and the call and the command is come into the light, come into the light, but we don't by nature. We don't unless the Holy Spirit allows us to do so. Notice the reason there, verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. We prefer darkness, you see. The world prefers darkness. We prefer to operate under our own rules and morality. We prefer to engage in our own selfishness and sin. We just love our darkness by nature. Now, the illustration of this, of course, is the fact that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night under the cover of darkness, actually kind of reflected his life and his heart. Shame, embarrassment, guilt, but notice again how, how we're not sure, by the way, who's speaking at this stage. Is it Jesus or is it John? We're not sure. But verse 20, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. See, that, that's why we don't like 
the light because we know that that's going to expose who we really are. Now, for some, of course, I've noticed over the years, some people have a love-hate relationship with light and truth. You know, they kind of like the idea of light and truth. Maybe they see the need for light and truth. They see the attraction of, and they see why the church should teach about light and truth, but they're scared, scared of being exposed. Don't let the light get too close. Don't let the truth get too close because I might have to change. By nature, we fear exposure. And that's why, of course, the world is so hostile to us. We'll accept every other kind of religion in the world, but despises Christianity and and particularly gospel-based Christianity because the world hates the light. And so the world avoids us, rejects us, and increasingly will persecute us. And we're going to suffer more in the future. I I might get my day, but those of you who are young, you're going to suffer because the world hates you and the light that you represent, the light of Jesus. Come into the light, Nicodemus. Come into the light, our peaceers. This is the only way. It's costly. That's what the saved do, verse 21, you'll notice. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. See, when we understand, when we believe, we will want to, have to, Live by the truth. We will seek truth, learn truth, do truth, because the light has brought us to truth. We're not talking about noble thoughts or sensible ideas or higher opinions or human reason. We live by the truth of God because the light of God lets us see the truth of God. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So the saved have him, his light, and follow him and live in him and show him. Notice, so that it may be seen plainly. We're supposed to show it plainly. The way we live, the way we love, the way we forgive, the way we are generous and holy. It's beyond human nature. It's beyond religion. It's supernatural. And those are the last phrase, and with this we finish, that what he has done has been done through God. See, that's very important because it's not that the saved are superior people. Maybe sometimes they think it, but that's not, that's not reality. It's not that the saved are superior people, better people, or nicer people. No, they're saved because God is in them. Oh, got excited there. The saved have God in them, have God's work done in them, and God shines his light into them and then through them, so that, yeah, once we were dead, now we're alive. Once we were facing judgment, now we're forgiven. Once we were condemned, now we're cleansed. Once we were sinners, now redeemed. Once we were in despair, now we have hope. Once aliens, now orphans, the list goes on, because the light has shown us these things. John is showing Nicodemus and us our problem and the answer. The problem is sin and darkness and lies. The answer is not in religion or traditions or temple sacrifices or such like. The answer is Jesus. So the miracle of the new birth. Have you been born again? Have you been born again? The miracle is a revelation of truth. Do you accept the words of Scripture as being 
the revelation of truth from the revealer, Jesus himself. Have you come to the miracle of the cross, confessed your sin, and received salvation? The miracle of belief. Do you believe in a world of unbelief? The miracle of light. Have you rejected darkness and come into light? Nicodemus was confused. It's easy to be confused. It's natural to be confused. You might be confused. His religion was corrupt. All religion is corrupt. Religion cannot, will not save. The answer is Christ and his cross. Always and forever. And so we urge you, believe and receive. If any questions come to Christianity Explored, talk to us afterwards. We'll be more than willing to spend time with you. Lord, thank you again. Um, uh, just the beauty of these words, the power of these words, the imagery of these words, how you are so patient with confused Nicodemus and how you're so patient with the likes of me and my brothers and sisters here, the folks in this congregation. We pray that you'll open up our eyes to understand these things, to believe and to come into the light for the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. <laughs>